One of the best ways to keep up with church life is through the City Life app. The City Life app enables you to listen to messages from Sunday, explore the Bible while listening to messages, stay up to date with church life through our Connect section, and much more. Download the City Life app in the App Store or Google Play Store today. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Jesus, speak to my heart today. Change my life. I want to leave here different than the way I came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to see you guys in church today. I believe God does have something special for you. While you're having a seat, I'd love it if you would grab your Bibles and Bible apps and uh, whatever you like to dig into the Bible with. Um, Also, if you have some notes or notebook, you may want to get that out so you can take some notes. Uh, But I'd like for you to open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. That's in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 14, no, 2 Corinthians 10, 14. There are too many numbers in there, you know. 2 Corinthians 10, 14. Get it and hold your place there. We're going to take a look at it. It's a real important scripture for today's message. You know, uh, this last week, one of the greatest Christian leaders in the history of the world went to be with Jesus. Um, His name was Billy Graham. When I was in the kitchen... Uh, making some food this week, I was I was having this casual conversation with Ian, my soon-to-be 19-year-old. He'll be 19 this week, so we're excited for Ian's birthday. Uh, but uh, we were just chatting with him, and I just threw out this little statement. It's like, well, okay, well, who do you think I am, Ian? I mean, am I Billy Graham? And he just he just chuckled, kind of looked, turned around, and looked at me, and was like, uh, Dad, I don't even know who that is. And I went, oh wow. And now I thought, well, that's not his fault. He's actually just living in a different generation. Some of you probably don't know who that is. I mean, my own son doesn't. I mean, Billy Graham doesn't have the same profile today that he did when, uh, that he did like when I was Ian's age. Uh, but but if I were to bring up a Bible character to Ian, who's back there doing our children's ministry right now, uh, odds are he would uh, he would fully engage with it, know what I'm talking about, and tell me even details about his life that I may not have even known about. See, Ian has like this crazy fascination for the Word of God, like any teenager I've never seen before. Seriously, I mean, sometimes like in the middle of the night, I'll, I'll hear noise and and uh, and I'll, uh, he'll have the Bible app in there reading the scriptures to him like all night long. I say, yeah, that, that's how that's how crazy he is about the Bible, and I love that. That's a good thing. But uh, but back when Ian was about, he was like four or five, just a, just a little kid. I mean, he, he was really into the Bible, and, and uh, he, he became really fascinated with this Bible character called Samson. And he decided that he wanted to be like Samson, so he was going to take a Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite vow, what that was, is something that was done in, uh, in the Old Testament, that, but it's where a person... Uh, basically three things. They could not touch a dead animal. They couldn't uh, eat. They couldn't have any fermented drink, and they couldn't um, all cut their hair. And, and most people did like a Nazarite vow for a year. There are some rare cases where people did it for their life. Samson was actually a lifetime Nazarite vow person, but that's, that's what it was. So he learned about the, that like in, in church, and, and so he comes home, and he's, I'm going to do, do a Nazarite vow. And he was, he was dead serious. I'm telling you, this, this little kid 
you know, little boys love to run around outdoors and stuff, but he would not touch a dead insect. Uh, he, you know, of course, is like, can't touch a dead animal, and he wouldn't touch a dead, like, like uh, a mosquito. Nothing, nothing. And one time I remember a fly, we killed a fly. He goes, Dad, I can't, I can't get close to that. I have a Nazarite vow. I was like, I'll oh, stop it. He, okay, he wouldn't. He, <laughs> he went so far on the fermented drink thing, he wouldn't drink grape juice. A step further, he wouldn't eat grapes. In fact, he was going, he was so religious about this thing. He wouldn't eat raisins. He's like, nope, I'm doing the Nazarite vow because I'm going to be strong like Sam. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And, and, and then the third one was, was his hair. He, like, he refused to get a haircut. Now, my wife and I were like, kind of like, well, he kind of has faith in this thing. And, you know, we don't want to listen like, he, so, so we just kind of let it go for a while thinking it would go away. But it didn't. It didn't. And this went like week after week after week after week after month after month. His hair started getting really long. And, 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 and Rebecca, she, she had like had enough of it. And, and, and so I got this idea. It's like, well, I talked to him. I said, listen, son, a lot of people in the Bible, when they did the Nazarite vow, they, they didn't do it like for their whole lifetime. There were just very few that did that. Most people, it was just a certain amount of time. And then, then they were released from the vow and they could go on. I said, and I think your time is coming to an end. He goes, no, it's not, Dad. I said, yes, it is, son. And he said, yes, but I let him make the decision on his own. And, and so then, then he just had this big feast. I mean, he, he got some grape juice, and, and, uh, and I don't, he don't think he touched any dead animals or anything, but, but he got his hair cut, and, and he was done with the Nazarite vow. We were so happy. But, but that, that is, it's really interesting because that was his passion. Um, and you know, I just think today, you know, some of you may not know who Samson is. And, and that's true, but by the end of this message, you're going to know about Samson. Also, you may not know who Billy Graham is, but by the end of this message, you'll know about Billy Graham. Today, I'm talking about these two people, uh, contrasting people, but it's a lot in common. See, Billy Graham was a preacher in this generation. Uh, Samson was a warrior, but both men were actually fighters for God, and they were used extremely mightily by God in very, very different ways, very different ways. Uh, you know, some people today who watch the life of Billy Graham say, well, Billy Graham was just a perfect man, and, and uh, you know, but, but the truth is, he wasn't. He wasn't. We elevated him. He he's, wasn't perfect. Some say Samson was a failure and a disaster, but, but he wasn't. We tend to put him down more than he needs to be put down. The truth is, though, most th- these both, both of these men fought for the cause of God. Both men stood against the plots of hell that steal, kill, and destroy people's lives. In fact, that's why Jesus came into this world. John chapter 10, verse 10 said, says, Jesus said this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's Satan's job description. Theft, death, destruction. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Uh, Samson, he fought against the Philistines, uh, the nation of people that were enslaved, and, and they, they were oppressed. Uh, they, they, they oppressed the people of God, and, and the Philistines, they, they stole from God's people, just like John 10, 10 says the thief does. They, they killed God's people. They destroyed families and homes and villages, and they did this all in the name of their God, their false God, their, their idol, by the name of Dagon. Billy Graham, on the other hand, he fought against Satan and his influence in people's lives, in families and homes across America. See, Satan's work of theft, death, and destruction was thwarted in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people as people found faith in Jesus 
to the ministry of Billy Graham. Now, Billy, uh, for me, he's a hero. I had the opportunity of watching his life. Um, and and I, I, I found this picture of him, and I love it because you can see the fight in his eyes. Because he attacked hell with passion. He loved people, and he attacked hell with passion. I love that because that's, that's, the, that's the, the image of a fighter, someone who's fighting for people. Um, according to Billy Graham's dad, when he, when he was a little kid, he, he loved to play Tarzan. And he would get, uh, any of you guys pl- play Tarzan? I, I kind of did when I was a kid a little bit. But Tarzan was more popular back then. But, but he said he would climb trees and hang from trees, and he would do this Tarzan yell, and he would hide. He would spend like, like all day in trees. And, and, and he would scare animals. He would scare like pedestrians and, and people driving down the road with his yelps. And he would learn to project his voice, all kinds of crazy things. And his dad eventually said, well, maybe that was God's way of, of, uh, of preparing him to be a preacher. And obviously it was. Uh, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ at the age of 16. Um, but that same year, he was also rejected because... He was wanting to join a local youth organization, and they said, no, they examined him. They said, no, you're too worldly for us. You're not good enough. So he quit church and started worshiping Satan, right? (laughs) No, come on. No, no, no way. (coughs) What happened? He was irate, naturally. But this just actually caused young Billy Graham to open his heart to be more accepting to people who otherwise might be rejected. A few years later, he was studying... In Bible college at uh, at a college called Bob Jones College. Now it's called Bob Jones University, North Carolina. And he was almost expelled in his first semester there. And Bob Jones, the the guy who was uh, who started the university, he sat down with him, and he here's what he told Billy Graham. I quote: "At best, all you can amount to is to be a poor country Baptist preacher." somewhere out in the sticks so he decided to quit serving god and went away and whined and cried no he didn't of course not he's like fine i'll just go to a different college so he went to a different college and he got in and was and he he was a big part of that and, and he thrived i mean this man what he did is he just he just saw life as having no boundaries on it because he knew god had no boundaries he was a fighter i mean he would befriend anyone and, and he would just simply do anything he could possibly dream of to get the message of Jesus out. And he would rent these circus tents that could seat thousands of people. In fact, his, his very first rallies under circus tents was in Los Angeles, California. And, and thousands of people came. They had to turn thousands away. And this went night after night after night after night. He didn't know what was happening. No, no one had ever seen this before. And, uh, and no, no one had ever had church with that many people, but the, the, no, no building could hold it, so it was just under the tent, and people kept coming and coming and coming. Celebrities started coming to Jesus, and it started getting out in the media, and that was in 1947. And then it moved from tents to uh, concert halls and, and arenas and other large venues. And, and then it even he, he ended up in the largest sports stadiums around the world. In fact, it's kind of interesting, as I was researching his life, uh, I, I just read about the, I, I read, and I even went online and I found some videos of a 1957 crusade. Now that would be like 61 years ago. 1957, he held a crusade in Manhattan, New York City. 
And uh, it's near Times Square in a place called Madison Square Garden. Maybe you've seen that, been there. Huge, awesome place. He ran his crusade there every night for 16 weeks, bumping out other people who were scheduled to come in there. How in the world did that happen? 16 weeks. Every, do you guys catch this? That's like three and a half months. Almost four months. Every night. Madison Square Garden. It's one of the most renowned events. That's where God just did incredible things in New York City. Since his ministry began in 1947, this fighter for Jesus conducted more than 400 crusades in 185 countries and territories. Lived to be 99. His whole life, what he did, though, is he fought. He fought Satan and his assault against individuals, families, church, media. He fought against Satan in the sports arena and in government and business and even in Hollywood. And he has his own star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He, he really does. A preacher? Yeah. Th this man influenced my life. Um, because I, I looked up to Billy Graham as a man of faith and, and diligence. And he would stick to I could not understand how he could fill up these huge, huge stadiums. And so many people would come to meet Jesus. But, but it's interesting. Some, you know, with, with all that's out in the media right now, if you've seen it, everyone's saying good things about him. But, but I, I don't recall everyone saying good things about Billy Graham when I was growing up. No, they didn't because people criticized him, just like people criticize preachers today. There's no different. In fact, I remember the criticism well. Um, it was mostly from church people. Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate, but it's true. It, it, the thing is, they, they didn't like his radical methods of, we're going to go out outdoors and preach. <laughs> uh, a lot of people said, oh, I don't want to go to his events because I don't get fed. He doesn't preach to my needs. I wish he'd preach about this and this and this. He doesn't preach about the things I like. And, and you know, we don't want him. Something's wrong with him. I even remember hearing someone say, well, if that many people are coming, he's, not doing, he's doing something wrong. Really? I mean, Jesus must have been doing some things wrong when the thousands came to hear him. You know what I'm saying? The criticism came. But he was a man of hope. And his death now leaves a void today that is uh, that's being it's just, it's just waiting to be filled by some other people who are going to step forward and dream big influence at the highest levels and fight for hope in the name of Jesus who's going to step up I think a lot of us can I contrast him with someone of high contrast and that would be Samson. The story of Samson is found in the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16, four chapters, and it's actually four of the most riveting chapters in the Bible, really, it, it really is, there's, there's nothing quite like this anywhere else in the Bible, I really challenge you, write that down, Judges 13 through 16, you need to read it. Um, Samson is, all, uh, is, is quite often, though, looked down upon because he had these very obvious flaws. Um, Regardless, though, that, that he is spoken of in the New Testament, 
as a hero of faith. And he went down as a hero of faith uh, alongside of ancient Israel's King David. In fact, there's this chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. We call it the Hall of Faith. And, and here, here he's mentioned where, where the guy says, I don't have time to talk about all these others. And he mentions, he mentions Samson right there with King David and with Samuel, the prophets. Like, wow. He was a man of extreme faith. In fact, this week, or this last week, I went to see the new Samson movie that's out. And, and if you get a chance to see it, you really should. Uh, I, I loved the vivid imagery because some of the things I'd imagined as a child what, that, that Samson would have done, I, I saw it on the screen and went, oh my goodness, it, yes, I can see how it happened now. Uh, but but the, it is an incredible movie. But the story of Samson, though, in contrast to Billy Graham, he lived well over 3,000 years ago in another part of the world in a completely different culture before even Jesus had given his life for us and before the Holy Spirit dwelt in people. Um, his story is found in the Old Testament. But here's the truth. The stories in the Old Testament, they are given to us as like types and shadows of what is to come in the future through Jesus. And that's so that we can learn from this. Now I want to explain a little bit about this fighter, Samson. Um, he is called a judge. Now, First of all, you've you got to kind of get your, your image of a judge out of your mind because some of you are thinking of, of you know, your Tarrant County judge or whatever and, and sitting on a bench and using a gavel or something like that. Well, no, that, that's, that's not the case. See, this is at a time in the history of Israel when Israel didn't have a king, they didn't have an army, they didn't have a judicial system, they didn't have any of that. And occasionally, God's people would stray from, uh, from serving God. And then inevitably, every time they would stray from serving God, there would be this neighboring nation who would come in and oppress them, uh, disarm them, and, 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 and you know, steal from them. Just, just they, they treated them horribly, basically like slaves. So they would use military strength to overpower them. So what God would do is, is God would raise people up. Now, now here, here's the truth. This is another truth that's found in this. This is important. God is always against the oppressor. Now, that's in New Testament and Old Testament. God, has, God is against the op oppressor, anyone who oppresses other people, you know, treats other people you know, in, a, in a wrong way. God is against the oppressor. That's something that we always have to remember. That's a big theme throughout the Bible, um, whether it's a person or whether it's the devil himself you know, that's, opposing, that's oppressing you. But God's people begin to pray for deliverance. Uh, back in Israel during that time. And when they would pray for deliverance from their oppressors, God would raise up what we call, or what the Bible calls, a judge to, uh, to, to basically liberate them from their enemies. Now, the purpose of the judge was this. The judge actually judged the oppressing nation. Now, th this wasn't a pastor. It wasn't like a missionary or an evangelist or anything like that or a prophet. But, but it would just be a, a man or a woman that God raised up who would just all of a sudden come out and they would exert strong leadership and a powerful anointing from God. And it was always a military anointing. And they, they just went out and they, and they, 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 just, they just pushed back the enemies that were, that were holding uh, Israel captive. Uh, and they would have brilliant military minds. And, uh, but if you read through the stories that are there in the book of Judges, you're going to see that they all had very obvious faults and shortcomings. Uh, there were 12 judges, there were 11 men, there was one woman over a period of several hundred years. But Samson was one of these, I think a better word is a fighter for God. Uh, it's just kind of like you. You were actually called to be a fighter for God. Did you know that? Now, sometimes uh, we actually learn opinion as fact. And uh, 
and when nobody challenges it, we just kind of learn opinion. In fact, it happens in culture all the time, and we just simply believe it. And if you were raised in church, you may have gotten some opinions about Samson that are not factual. And, and, uh, and the message, I guess the kind of little second grade Sunday school message that I would have heard as a little boy would have been something like this. Like, little boys, don't you grow up to be like Samson. Look at his long hair. Oh, my goodness. And you're going to, if you do like him, you're going to marry the wrong girl. And you're going to give in to your anger. And you're, you're just going to want to try to grow big muscles to impress people. And it's going to lead to your demise. That's right, little boys. Don't you be like Sam's. Really, that was kind of kind of the message that, that was given to us as kids. And if you who were raised in church, maybe that sounds familiar to you. And I kind of like, okay, maybe that sounds okay. But <coughs> is that really why God gave us that story? I, I don't think so. Here, here's, here's a challenge. Those of you who had those preconceived ideas of Samson, I'm asking you to go to the Bible and reread those four simple chapters, and I challenge you to read it as if you're reading it for the first time. You've never heard the story before. Play, pay, pay, pay close attention to the verbiage. Pay close attention to every time it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and God did this, and God did that. Look at the emotions of the characters and, and try to understand the horrible oppression and the, just the demonic activity of the, these Philistines, how horrible they were. In fact, the movie portrays that very well. And, and understand the justice of God and, and, and the message of hope that's woven in through the whole story. And the truth is, if you do that, your eyes will be open and you'll see yourself in the story. The story basically goes like this. Samson's mother, uh, during this time of horrible oppression and even starvation of God's people, um, she was given this miracle baby. It was Samson. <laughs> and uh, he didn't come out with long hair or anything like that. But, 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 but as she was pregnant, God spoke to uh, the, the ladies. Her name was not Mary. can't remember her name right now. I was going to call her Mary. She's like, no, that's the mother of Jesus. That's a different story. That's a totally different thing. But, uh, but God, God spoke to her. Actually, it was Jesus, uh, a, a pre-incarnate Jesus. A pre, like an, Jesus came as a spirit and, and talked to her on two different occasions. And Jesus even told her how she was supposed to raise a child with this Nazarite vow that I explained earlier. And, uh, and, and she, he, he said, Samson is going to set uh, Israel free of their oppressors. This is the deliverer. This will be the person to judge those other, the, the Philistines. So, so the Bible says that God's spirit rested on Samson and, and the spirit of God led him and guided him and it's interesting because the Spirit of God would like, it, it, it exploded through him, uh, through, through using some kind of a violent uh, physical strength to push back the oppressors, like something we don't see anywhere else in the scriptures. It's very interesting. That's why I encourage you to read it. Now, listen, I, I want you to catch this though. God's power still explodes through people to help others who are oppressed. Now, it's different today. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to turn into the Incredible Hulk. No, I don't believe that. But now I'll explain that a little bit later, but God's power still works through people. Here's how the story went, different than what my Sunday school teacher told me. God caused Samson to fall in love with a Philistine girl. And the reason was is so that Samson would have this advantage to get into the city where the Philistines live, and he could begin to defeat the Philistines that way. So he was getting married to this girl. They had this week-long celebration in the city where the Philistines are. And, and his wife found herself in a tough spot during that week-long celebration because 
some Philistine men who were at the wedding. Actually, they were part of the wedding party. Uh, these, these, these Philistine men threatened her and her family with death. They said, we're going to burn you to death, and we're going to burn your property and your dad, your whole family. We're going to destroy all of you guys uh, if you don't give us some secrets about, about Samson. And so she caved to them. Uh, she was just literally fearing for her life. I mean, that's, that's what it said. They were going to kill you. So she did, and you know, I'm not going to fault her for that. But th- that all happened, but then when Samson found out, the Bible says then God's spirit came on Samson, and he just he, he literally killed all those people that, that threatened to kill his bride. Um, angry at him, then uh, you know, they, they, you know, they, they were trying to fight back, but Samson held his ground because see, God's spirit kept it from happening. This is the beginning of the breaking of the stronghold that the Philistines had upon, the, uh, upon Israel. Well, he was also pretty upset with his wife for deceiving him, right? So he's like, that's it. <laughs> I'm going home to mom. He did. He literally went home to mama. And, uh, and he went home to mom. And so he was hanging out with mom for a little while. Well, I, I don't understand how the culture works, but the Bible says this happened, is that his dad, seeing that his wife was kind of like abandoned, then gave his wife away now to one of the guys from the wedding party. So we'll just essentially say like the best man. Uh, so... He gives him, he gives the wife away to the best man, and Samson's going to go back to his wife now, and the dad says, oh, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> I give her away to someone else. You can just, just like hang out with her little sister. She's prettier anyway. Don't well, Samson was so upset because this like kind of like best man guy took his wife. Do you get this? Okay, guys, would you be upset if someone took your wife, even if you had a bad day, right? Okay, oh yeah, that is... Well, the Bible says then the Spirit of God came on him again, and he, and, uh, and he burned the fields of the, the Philistines. Well, the Philistines got upset, so what they did is they murdered Samson's wife and her father and burned their houses and destroyed them, went ahead and killed them. So this revenge kept happening. Uh, later on in the story, a thousand Philistines literally came out charging at him, and they, they, they were charging at him, ready to make war with him, with their, with their shields and their armor and and, and their swords, and, and this, the Bible says the Spirit of God came, up, came upon him, and he just looked down and saw a jawbone of a donkey. And the Bible says he killed a thousand Philistines that day. He slayed them all. And then at the end of it, he's exhausted. And, and uh, the Bible says that, that God then opens up this spring of water. Water began flowing out, and he, he refreshed himself and quenched his thirst after his victory. Interesting story. Uh, later on, and, and it is probably about a decade or maybe 15 years later, he fell in love with another woman, and uh, her name was Delilah. So that's where it goes, like Samson and Delilah. Okay, that's it, that's it, that's where it was. Now, the same kind of thing started happening again, and, and the Philistines threatened her, and then they said, okay, what we'll do is we'll pay you money then to get the secret from Samson about his strength. Uh, about the Nazarite vow, because they didn't know about the Nazarite vow. They just wanted to know the, the secret. And, and so, so he ended up uh, telling her, after a long sequence of events, he ended up telling her the secret. He said, you know, if you just, sh- he, he just said this. He said it with his mouth. This is interesting. What he said with his mouth happened. He said, if you cut my hair, if you shave my head, I'll lose the power of God on my life. I'll be like any other man. And so she's like, okay. And so they, they did it, and they, they shaved his head. And, and, uh, and sure enough, he had no strength. He had no power. They they, they bound him up, and they actually gouged his eyes out, um, and they, they, they made him, like, grind grain uh, like an animal, and they mocked him. Well, the Bible says his hair started to grow back. Now, we don't know how long. It could have just been, like, this much, <laughs> but, but his hair started to grow back, naturally, and, 
And, uh, and th- they were getting together at this, the Temple of Dagon, which is this, this huge palatial structure. It has several different levels on it and a courtyard in the middle, so people could be standing up really high all the way around this thing. And they said that there were about 3,000 people that day up in this huge building. And, and uh, they were all there worshiping their god, Dagon. And in the middle of it, the highlight of it, they brought Samson right out into the middle to mock him and make fun of him. And, uh, and, and during this time, you know, Samson can't see what's going on. He asked him, hey, put me between the pillars. And he got between the two main pillars that supported the entire structure. And he prayed to God. Again, what he said happened. This is interesting because what you say happens, okay? There's power in your words, guys. He said, God, give me your power back. Today, I want to destroy these people that have not only oppressed me, but have oppressed my nation. And, uh, and go ahead, and I want to die in the process. God said, sure. God gave him his strength back, and, and uh, he pushed these pillars away. The building crumbled, crashed in. The Bible records that, that more people died that day than in all of Samuel's li- uh, uh, Samson's life. And, uh, and Israel was free from their oppressors from that day on. He judged the oppressors. Do you understand? Um, there's, there's no doubt Samson had flaws and weaknesses. I, I'm not, not saying that, that those didn't exist. Yet God still used him. In fact, the Bible said he was Israel's leader. He was a leader for 20 years. The Bible also says he was a man of extreme faith. He was a fighter for God. He was a man who brought hope to people in spite of the fact that, that he was often not in control of his mind and emotions. He displayed fits of rage, and he made snap decisions and caved to the emotional pressure of the two women that were in his life and praying outrageous prayers, asking himself to be killed. Yet the Bible, at the same time, affirms that Samson is going to be in the first resurrection with Abraham and with David and with you and with me. And he is going to, the Bible says that Samson is going to rule and reign on this earth with Jesus. The Bible says that Samson, along with all the other heroes of faith, endured many trials through faith so that he might obtain a better resurrection. That's in the scriptures. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what kind of mistakes you've made in your past. It, it, no matter how bad your past is, um, I mean, even, even if you were an angry preacher's kid and you set up an illegal alcohol and drug exchange business out of the trunk of your car in high school, like the guy who told us that, that preached last Sunday that told us about that. Those of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're willing to submit your life to Jesus, There's hope for you. And you will also fight to bring hope to others. Guys, that's how it works. Here's what I want to tell you. Have hope. Have hope. God can use you just like he used Billy Graham, just like he used Samson. I'm saying, yes, he can. You're going, I don't know. Yes, he can. In fact, our most powerful weapon today is not fighting physically, but it is fighting spiritually the way Billy Graham did. This is the New Testament now. Because Jesus came, and see, God's Spirit now is in us. He's inside of us, okay? That was Samson. It was only upon him and would leave. But, but Ephesians chapter 6 tells us something amazing. Take a look at this. It says, our struggle as believers in Jesus, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What is flesh and blood? That's people. We, our, our battle is not against people, believers. Hear me well. 
it says, our power, our, our battle is against who? Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean like kings. and No, that means those are spiritual forces because flesh and blood, you know, it's, it's not people. This is spiritual darkness. It was, so it would be demonic. A uh, better way to say it, I just kind of lump it all together, and I'll just use the term hell. I mean, it, it, our battle is against hell. You get it? Our battle is not against people. That's important. Now, now, imagine if you could do spiritual warfare like Samson, except do it against the spiritual forces of darkness that come to rob you, your family, your business, your friends, and your family uh, of, of your hope. Imagine. Now take a look in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Uh, <coughs> as you're looking at that, like what weapons did Samson use? Well, Samson used his bare hands. <laughs> he used the jawbone of a of a donkey as weapons. But Second Corinthians ten four tells us about our weapon. It's very different because it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine. That means godly. Okay, it means supernatural power to demolish strongholds what are strongholds those are ways that the enemy has set himself up in the minds of people causing them to believe things that are not true one of the things we talk about here at city life all the time is what you believe Preston was up here saying earlier about we must believe what we must believe because we tend to believe the wrong things and those are called strongholds they're in your minds your friends have those strongholds we do we, we have to keep beating them down and tearing them down because those strongholds, those are lies of the enemy that say you're no good, you're a loss, you're, you're, your life is screwed up, you're overworked, you're too stressed out, your family's too much of a mess, good luck, to hope you just survive for the rest of your life. I mean, come on. Those are the lies that we constantly deal with. Those are called strongholds. Now, we use spiritual weaponry against that, not only for ourselves, but for the other people that we love, the people we're around. I love that. And you can bring hope to people around you. Some of you, you need hope right now. But the way you're going to get your hope is by giving the hope of Jesus to somebody else and then watch what comes back on you. Fight for someone else and you'll get hope. The Bible even tells us about our weapons, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but our weapons, really four basic weapons, God's Word, the Word of God is a weapon. That's why you need to be in the Scriptures all the time. If you don't use a Bible app or a reading, Bible reading program, you should be doing it constantly. I encourage you to. Uh, but, but God's word. Also, another one is the blood of Jesus. That means being forgiven of your sins. The blood of Jesus is a powerful weapon against darkness. Uh, your story or your testimony, that's, that's telling other people, being bold enough to tell other people what Jesus has done for you. That is a weapon against darkness. That will bring hope to other people. That defeats the enemy. And the, the fourth one that the Bible talks about is having no fear of death. Like, I'm not afraid to die because I know I have eternity. And, and, and you know, the, the world fears death. We don't have to. Those are our four major weapons as believers. If we understand what those weapons are, we can go to battle all the time. See, if, if the Spirit of God lives in you, do you realize that you are designed to fight spiritually? In fact, that's one of the reasons why we have City Life Night, which is coming up here in a few weeks. Um, <coughs> because it's a night of Holy Spirit empowerment so that you can be strong, so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that you can fight for others. I want you to have hope. Because you were designed by God to defeat hell and to bring life and hope to other people. 
See, a Christian is a person who follows the ways of Christ. That's what Christian means, you know, following the ways of Christ. And Jesus, he came to bring us life. And so by our very nature as believers, we do that for others. We let it flow out of us to others. So we are called by God to defeat hell and bring life. That's, that's what we're about. So I'm telling you guys, I'm grateful for Billy Graham. I'm grateful for the story of Samson, but they're not on this earth anymore. Here's a question. Who now is going to take the mantle of God and use spiritual warfare to fight for others today? Who's going to accept the love, the grace, and the life of Jesus today so that you not only can be whole, forgiven, and have purpose, but you can release that to others and enter into your calling, your purpose. In the Old Testament, there's an incredible passage in Amos chapter 2, excuse me, Joel chapter 2, verse uh, 13. And I, I kind of broke it down here for you because this just really tells us who God is. And I want to remind you of these things. I want you to know that God is full of grace toward you so you can be full of grace toward others. God is full of compassion for you. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. <laughs> so you can be compassionate toward others. God is full of love toward you. You can be loved toward others. God is slow to anger toward you. Even if you did have an illegal business back in high school. <laughs> so you can be slow to anger with others. God is not wanting to harm you. He doesn't want to harm you. Those are lies. Those, those, are, those are wrong beliefs. It's like God's out to get you. No, he doesn't want to harm you. What does God want to do? He desires to bless you. And you can bless others. And God expects, expects to use you. He does. That's my God. Is that your God? I mean, will you step up and be a person of hope? You see... My faith, I'm connecting with yours right now, and I just want to pray blessing over every single one of you, really everyone in this room, but especially for those of you who lifted your hands. Jesus, I just pray for the life of God, the strength of God, the favor, the purpose of God, and the hope that only Jesus can bring to go deep into the hearts and lives of each one of us, God. God is... As these who lifted their hands said, I prayed that prayer to receive Jesus. God, I pray that there's just this new infusion of life and hope and joy and peace. And God, let us open ourselves up to more and more of your spirit, God. We don't want to just exist. God, we want to live with hope and live for you, Jesus. That's what we crave. That's what we want. We want to live on purpose. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can keep in touch with what is coming this season through social media and our City Life app. And Sunday, our favorite day of the week is on its way. We hope to see you at City Life.